Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 Calgary West. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire you in your walk with God. For more information about our church, check out our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram at C3 Calgary West. And, um, and I want to just share with you this morning about the force of words and actually a little bit about criticism. Our, our movement has faced some criticism this last couple of weeks, and, uh, which is not uncommon. Um, Any time that you choose to walk in obedience, there will be opposition of some kind. And so the book of Nehemiah, he, he, um, we're looking at chapter four today. This is our fifth in a series. And, um, and I want to talk about um, dealing with criticism and about the power of our words. I think that there's... Um, if I were to think of like any life hacks that I could pass on to anybody, um, life is not very complicated. <clears throat> it can get complex. But there, if you do a few simple things, a few of the basic things consistently, uh, you'll find that you can make life work fairly well. And there's a few of those things that are, are intuitive and others are disciplines. And... Um, and one of the things I want to talk about today, I want to talk about our mouth and our heart. Bible says that our words come out of our heart. There's a heart and mouth connection. And um, I'm not sure specifically how that works. Um, I know that our heart is a part of us that holds our beliefs. Um, if you could review the reason that you make decisions the way you do, they're largely because of the beliefs that you hold in your heart. And because of those beliefs that are in your heart, you begin to speak out of that. I personally don't believe that Christ is in our heart consistently. I think the scripture says he dwells in our hearts by faith. Our hearts are a bit deceptive. They're a little tricky. I believe that Jesus is always in our spirit and our heart is the doorway into our soul. And that when I can control my thoughts, my life can be transformed. So when I think of the heart-mouth connection, uh, it should give us a little bit of context and even make us aware of the power that's in our words. But more than that, they reveal what's in our hearts. I will be able to tell you the direction of your life primarily by listening to how you speak. And so our words actually direct our life. And so just thinking about that as I, we look at the, at the book of Nehemiah and how he was involved in the rebuilding of the walls. And we've looked at walls and gates. And uh, this particular last month became very personal to me when I realized the mandate that God's given us for our city and I've called our church, you all know, to six months of prayer. And that's, you can be part of that with a, a teaching and an interactive intercessory mandate that we have for our city for the next six months by simply sending your name to uprising at myc3church.ca. And we have a large number that are involved in that already. So we're looking at rebuilding. <clears throat> um, it's interesting when I, I look at, because Nehemiah was a type of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes into our life, reveals areas that are broken, uh, gates, walls, 
that need to be rebuilt, and then he gives us the ability to rebuild our life based on his revelation and our obedience to that revelation. So when we look at what took place as Nehemiah began to build, he began to receive some criticism. It's chapter 4 and verse 1, Sambalat, who was the governor at that time and stood the most to lose if power shifted in Jerusalem, Sambalat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall, and he flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a day if they offer enough sacrifices? Look at those charred stones they are pulling out of the rubbish and using again. That's a personal word for me. I believe that God's taken me as a charred stone and pulled me out of a rubbish pile and is choosing to use me. Verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite now chimes in, who was standing beside him, and he said, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. In chapter 4, verse 4, and then I prayed. Um, The criticism throughout the chapter goes from verbal threats to physical threats. It gets heightened. Vision is a very easy target whenever you have a vision and God begins to stir in your heart to do something great for his kingdom, it becomes an easy target because it's based on the future, not on the past. And critics often use the past to confront you with how are you ever going to do that in light of that. And so vision's an easy target. It has, um, criticism has history on its side as well. Understandably so, because vision is always about the future and doesn't have any history. This hasn't happened before. It's the, vision is the, both the birthplace and it can be the burial place unless you learn to deal with opposition to the vision that God has placed in your heart. Um, point number one, obedience always attracts opposition. I see five areas of criticism, understanding that criticism always enters through the door of emotion, part of our soul. There's five areas of criticism. First of all, he criticizes the character. Secondly, their ability. The third, their commitment. The fourth was feasibility. And the fifth area of criticism was competence, their competence. It should be no surprise to us that not everybody is excited about our visions. You would think, well, they should cheer you on and champion you, but... It's, um, these are personal things between you and the Lord, and you have to be willing, though none go with me, still you will follow. <laughs> that becomes our personal mantra. Um, opposition can come in lots of different ways, uh, but it's usually by words. It can come directly or indirectly uh, to you. Um, I believe that criticism can be redeemed, and I also believe that we pick our criticisms. You choose what people are going to criticize in your life by the way that you live. What would you like to be criticized for? I think it was Aristotle who said, if you don't want to be criticized, don't do anything, don't say anything, don't be anything, something like that. Uh, Rob Sharma would say that criticism is the price of ambition. Whenever you step out to do something, be aware that there could easily be some criticism, and I don't think that that's bad, because criticism often refines your vision. Because many times there's facts that are involved in criticism. And so the first way we redeem a criticism 
is by look for the seed of truth that's in it. Because very often when someone points out something, they have a basis for that. I, I, I continue to think of, and sometimes this comes from outside, sometimes it comes from inside. I think that we should be self-compassionate more than self-critical. <clears throat> Compassion comes out of a sense of love. Criticism comes out of fear. And so when we set out to build this campus, I remember hearing and feeling, and sometimes you hear them, and other times you just think you hear them, but because when the Lord speaks to you about doing something, he gives you the what, but not the how. So if somebody is wanting clarity on the what, that's fine. But what the critics were doing here was criticizing the how. Vision, you're actually not really that sure how it's going to happen. I think of the invitation for us to expand our influence in Calgary. That's been the, that's been the invitation for about nine years. Um, how are we going to do that? Do you know, I'm not really sure. But I think that as we step out in faith and begin to call on God, that he will show us. <laughs> it's, his, it's his plan. Right? And so we were, we were criticized that we don't have enough money. We went to so many banks. Um, Gord was starting to wonder how much more rejection can he take individually. Every bank turned us down over and over and over again. And, of course, the question was, how do you think you're going to do this? Yeah, I don't know. It's just, that's the, just the how. I, I don't know. But then do you have the expertise? Frankly, no. Never done it before. <laughs> um, what's it going to look like? I, you know, I'm not, not that sure. Um, all of these things, because so many times criticism has, is based on some facts. But that shouldn't stop us. Um, what do you want to be criticized for? You get to pick that. What, what in your life do you want to be criticized for? That you took a bold stand for Jesus? Or that you were one of those closet Christians and kind of hid away? Uh, I think we need to listen closely, first of all, to criticism and look for the seed of truth. Because many times, critics are armed with facts. That's all right. Secondly, I think you should acknowledge the, point, the good points and grow. Thirdly, I think that we should admit when we're wrong. It takes both sunshine and rain to grow stuff. Admit when we're wrong. Um, and, and, and what I've learned to do that really uh, disempowers criticism quick is, is the, pay the critic a quick compliment. Thank you for pointing that out. You're right. You're right. Thank you. And it just kind of removes the aggression and the emotion and... And then ask if you can pray for them on the spot. I think we should depersonalize criticism by sticking with our core values. I'm grateful for feedback in my life. That's how we learn. And we should always show respect, even if they haven't earned it or deserved it, your critics. The, how you respond to criticism is less about their character, more about yours. So I, I think it's fine. So what, is, what does Nehemiah do? He, so frankly, some of the criticisms are accurate. <laughs> and, and I, you know, he's been going along for a while. The last month or last week, we learned about all of the, the team he pulled together and all these different types of people. Some of them were goldsmiths and per, perfumers. They, none of them had tool belts at all. 
priests were there in their long robes and the goldsmiths had their little monocle and they showed up to do the job and he's trying to get a job done. So I want you to look at what takes place because, because instead of answering the critic, he goes straight to prayer. Now, <clears throat> I wish I would have done this more consistently. Am I the only one that's so quiet? We're in church, traveling light. <clears throat> um, he goes straight to prayer. This is interesting. Nehemiah is tired, and he's kind of ticked off. He's getting, these people are creating more work for him. So I want you to look at the type of prayer. 12 prayers in Nehemiah. Uh, th- this, one, this one is a type of prayer uh, that we call uh, imprecatory prayers. So, there's, so that, means, that means what he's doing here was venting. That's, that's different than a model prayer. Do you hear them? Some prayers are prescriptive, some are descriptive. So, so Nehemiah is not saying, okay, pray like this. Why? Because he's venting. You ever read Psalm 58? Uh, Lord, smash the teeth of my enemies right in their, like, right in their mouth. Uh, that's a venting prayer. That's not a model prayer. He's venting. Uh, Read, read Psalm 58. It's remarkable. Uh, let them be like, um, let, turn them, what does it say? Turn them, put, put like, put, turn them like salt on a snail back into slime. So, so here's, here's what I think is important and what I need to learn to do quickly. Is you go, so, so Nehemiah had no cool off time. He's not cooling down. He's, He's in the midst of a grand project. God's called him to do a great thing. And he instantly goes into a venting prayer. Hear a prayer, O Lord. We're being mocked. May their, may their scoffing fall back on their own heads. And may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. This is, Nehemiah does not have a mercy gifting. But he's accurate. He's, 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 he's venting. Don't ignore their guilt. Don't blot out their sin, for they have provoked you to anger here in the presence of us, the builders. It's important to understand that this is not a model prayer, uh, it's, it's, and it's not for us to model our prayer lives after. It's a bit vindictive. But here's what happens when emotions get high. The best place to talk is to the Lord. You come to his throne of grace, and we're able to Vent. It's way safer than going on social media right away. It's way safer. Just, and, and he's not surprised when our hearts are burdened. He's not, it doesn't, doesn't shock him. So he turns out that while the prayers never seem to impact the enemy, if you read the rest, didn't seem to impact them at all, but it sure changed the unity of the team. And it's changed their resolve. Many times prayer doesn't change the other person that we're upset with, but it definitely changes us. So he, he prays. Um, and then it says, he goes down a little further about, then the people of Judah, well, yeah, but then we prayed. And then the people of Judah began complaining. And oftentimes the, the enemy on the inside is worse than the enemy on the outside. And he, they began to comp- complain. Uh, but, but what happens is they go straight back to work. And I'll have verse 14. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the leaders and the people, 
said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Um, I like this because criticism can cause you very quickly to second guess the vision. When, when, a, when a critic comes up, you go, yeah, well, are we in the right track? Like, what's going on here? And you can second guess everything. But here's, here's what he does that I think is the most brilliant strategy yet. Because it turns out that what the, what the critic was trying to do is trying to steal their focus. And criticism can do that, including self-focus. Sorry, self-criticism. So, so here's what he did, and I think it's one of the most profound leadership statements. And or if you lead a home, if you're a husband in your home, or you're a single mom, or whatever you are as a leader in your leaders, I think this is the most profound statement in verse 14. I looked over this situation, and I called everybody together. And first of all, I said, don't be afraid of the enemy. I just think that's really such a great statement. And then this one here, remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Sometimes our best strategy is our memory. More than anything in my journey, because the first revelation I ever had of the Lord is this, is he's faithful. It's one of my favorite hymns. Great is thy faithfulness. When we moved into the first building, worship team said, what, should we, what, what would you like saying? I said, let's just sing great is thy faithfulness. Because to me, God has been consistently faithful my entire life. If you forget that, you'll lose focus. If he's called you into a place, He'll take you through to the next step. Remember the Lord. Why? Because our best strategy is our memory. Remember how consistent, how faithful, how he's never let you down, how he's always been there. Remember that he always comes through. He doesn't leave you alone, that he'll never let, leave you or forsake you. Don't forget, remember the Lord is great and he's glorious. <laughs> it's such a great strategy. It's to remember how faithful our God is. I love this. And then fight for your friends and your family and your homes. This is like Braveheart did. Fight for your family. Same, same. I love, I love this. Anyway. And then he says, um, yeah, and, and for me, I remember, I, I try to remember, what did he ask me to do? Have I been faithful to that? And then he goes on to talk about all the builders, they went on. And of course, at this point, they had to now have a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other. He says, don't give up. Just keep fighting. And, and you'll, you'll notice the interesting thing is that he puts the workers in front of him and the enemies behind him. And as a leader, he stands between. It's an interesting position. And then the last part, uh, you should read it. Um, during this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants or the guards who were with me ever took off our clothes. They never put on their jammies. They stayed on the job. We carried our weapons with us all the time, even when we went for water. All right. Force of words. Um, vision always has more answers, sorry, questions than answers. I want to talk to us personally now for the next few minutes about the power of words, how they have creative power. When, when God wanted to take something from the spiritual realm and bring it into the physical realm, he used words. Because words are creative forces. When, when there was a great chasm of sin between us and the Father, he said, if you will confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, he said, I'll bridge that ch chasm of sin in your life. 
Um, he, when God needed access to our life, it says, John chapter one, he sent the word. Um, you wanna, so words connect us to God. Uh, that's why I love the praise as a highway. Words can connect us to God. When the enemy wanted to disconnect us, he used words as well. Words will disconnect you from God as well. Well, did God really say? Words are powerful. Have, have you ever read something in Scripture when you read it and you wish you hadn't heard that? Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, I tell you this, that you must give account on judgment day for every idle word. I, I wish I hadn't read that. As a Tebbit, we have lots of idle words, I think. We talk a lot. Well, some of us do. Um, I looked up that word idle because I didn't like how it was convicting me. The, 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 the Greek word is argos, and it means a particle, a particle of negation. It means unemployed, useless, barren, unprofitable. <laughs> that, so, so the thought we will answer for useless, negative, idle words, argos, because argos, idle words, cannot produce life. They won't empower the promises of God in your life. <clears throat> argos words, idle words, are barren, and they forfeit the promises in our life. Verse 34 says that what is in the heart determines what you're going to say. So he says, like a good person has good words because they come from a good heart. Negative thoughts produce negative words that cause promises to be barren in our life. And, and then an equally convicting passage in James chapter 3 and verse 2 where it says, we all make mistakes, profound confession, but those who control their tongues can control themselves in every other way. The greatest, the greatest treatise on the power of words is in the book of James. And this passage to me is, is, is and it becomes very um, um, personal. N next it says we can, we can make a large horse turn around. I, I had a horse as a boy. He was uh, smoky. And of course, I was the bandit. And um, he was a little guy. But we also had big horses. We had Belgians, big Belgian horses. And you could put a bridle, a little piece of metal. And the result was, it says here, I love what it says. It says that we can make a large horse turn around with a little piece of metal. Your, your entire life can go in a certain direction by the power of your tongue. This is mind-blowing. It should be, cause us to pray like David, oh Lord, set a watch over my mouth. So he says this, and he says that, that how that, it can turn, in verse 6, it can turn the entire, it can turn the entire course of your life, that, that your tongue, the ancients had a thing called the wheel of life, and it meant, it, it meant the seven major um, uh, glands in your body. You see, and he's saying here, he's saying that your tongue can direct the seven major glands that cause your body to function. Did you know that the instant that you say, say a negative word, your thymus stops working? You don't get sick right away, but it can't function because of the negation of your words. It, it, he, he even says something phenomenal here. Is people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. Has anybody ever trained a fish? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Does your Bible say fish? Does anybody got your Bible here? Mine says fish. Get, anybody get a Bible? Says, does yours say fish? 
Amazing. Who can train a fish? I guess a dolphin or whatever. But anyway. Uh, he's saying that, that, that neuroscience tells us that the speech center of your brain affects all parts of your body, and it even directs the nervous system. Negative words release negative chemicals called catabolic hormones that break down your body. Positive words release anabolic hormones, and they release, and you know, there's, one other, there's two other times when this happens, when anabolic hormones are released in your body. That's when you're laughing and when you're singing. I do both. I mean, just it's, it's interesting. The Bible says that a merry heart actually can do good, just like a medicine. Well, isn't that something? What if the Bible's right? <laughs> Novel thought. Anyway, um, he, he, he goes on to remind us how that it, it, it has, it's a rudder. Your words are steering your life. It has disproportionate power in your life. Proverbs 18 and verse 22 says, a man's stomach is satisfied by the fruit of his mouth and the produce of his lips he shall be filled. What's that mean? That means the quality of life is determined by the quality of your words. Wow. I think that's, I think that's profound. Uh, I, I, I'm fascinated by chapter um, Proverbs 26. There's a passage in here that is um, interesting. Verse 18, just as damaging as a mad man shooting a lethal weapon is someone who lies to a friend then says, I was only joking. Here's what he says. He says, it's like somebody comes into your house. He's got a hunting bow, a compound bow. He releases it on your thigh. Oh, I was just kidding. <laughs> have, you, have you ever tried that? Like said something and then, oh, I'll just take those words back. Too late. It's even worse on social media. I've said so many things, I wish I would not oh, come on, it's too late. Billy Graham tells a story about a young, a woman who says, I went to a priest and confessed that I've said so many wicked things. He said, go out on the hillside, take a feather pillow and open it up. She came back the next day, she said, I did. What do I do now? He said, go gather up the feathers. She said, it's impossible. He said, the same thing about words that have already been released. Power. Just kidding. Uh, Proverbs 13 and verse 3, he who guards his mouth preserves his life. Proverbs 11, 11, I like this, and this, this is going to be one of our scriptures for the uprising for our city. Uh, upright citizens bless a city. The first thing I want us to do for this whole month in intercession is bless Calgary. Just bless it. Uh, just speak blessing over our city. And then it says, that upright, citizens, upright citizens bless the city and make it prosper, but the talk of the wicked tear it down. Are you building up our city or are you tearing it down? <clears throat> Such a critical thing. Uh, last point, our tongue is a loaded weapon. Apparently there's 800,000 words in the English language. 300,000 of them are technical for specialists. Leaves about 500,000. Nobody uses 500,000 words. We use it probably about 100,000. And most of us, most of us, the Bible says where there's lots of words, there's lots of sin. I know. Most of us, I use, I use more maybe than my wife. Uh, maybe we use 5,000 words. One of the words in the New Testament for word is logos. And when, whenever the word logos is used in the, in the, in the, the Greek New Testament, it means that everything that has went before that in logic and thought up to that point. So the logic of God and his intention is all 
encased within his word. The logos of God. Solomon knew that life and death were in the power of the tongue. The word, um, the word power is a, the word yad. It means under the direction or as a musical director. Negative words will tear down. Positive words will build up. And my last point, um, marriage words. Have you ever heard anybody at any time who has just been cussed out say, oh man, now I feel better? You don't. Words in marriage, one of the, a study was done in, um, between a, a Catholic university and a Denver university said one of the primary ways that we can predict whether a marriage will stay uh, strong or whether it will dissolve is the number of positive words that are used in an average day. And he, they said this, they said, if there is five negative words out of 100 that were used, it's quite likely that that marriage will survive. But if there's 10, it ends up becoming five times as many in a very short period of time. Because your words will either build up your spouse or tear them down. Um, one of the most reliable predictors of marriage success has nothing to do with economics, affection, common interests, but the kind of words that are spoken. I, I refer to Ephesians chapter 5 when I think of how does Jesus speak about his bride? How do you speak about his bride, the church? It says that he washes her with the water of his word. What would our marriages be like if we could wash our spouses with the water of the word? By speaking over our children and wash them with the water of God's truth. This is what Jesus does for his bride. He, he's, and he's doing it right now. He's consistently doing this. He washes her. How is he cleansing her? With his word. How is he pruning her? With his word. John chapter 15 says, you're pruned already by the words I've spoken. As I've been sharing this morning, maybe there's been words that you've said that you wish you could get back. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's a word that's been stuck in your mind that's described, someone used, that's meant to hurt you. This morning, I'm going to break as much as you'll allow me any ungodly word curses that have been spoken over you. You've been caught in an emotional tangle and you've said things that, <gasps> but they've already been released. I love that every day is a new day. His mercy is new every day. The Lord can forgive you. He may not be able to get that situation back again, but maybe he'll lead you in building those relationships rather than tearing them down with negative words. We'll probably do a little song now. How are we doing for time? Are we over? Okay. Then, then let's all just stand. The music will help us. Power words, hey? Maybe some of you have been criticized and you want to just fight fire with fire. You want to pick up a sword and do the same thing. My 
encouragement would be was just pray, talk to the Lord, quick, vent with him. He's, he's good. Uh, maybe there's been words that have been used over your life and they seem to be repeated and they get lodged in your heart. And this morning I want to break the power of those words over your life. We have a prayer team that's here that'll pray for you as well at the end, but I want to pray over everybody who feels there's been words spoken over them that are negative words. And the Lord would want to replace them with life-giving words and build you. Just take a moment and just look into your heart. Out of your heart, that's where words come from. Lord, let, let this be a sacred time when we that the, the, the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord. Any, any negativity and any harshness, any rage, any anger, any unhealthy or ungodly words that have proceeded from our mouth, Lord, we ask for forgiveness for that. I ask, Lord, that you would use these mouths and these tongues to direct these lives to a, into a great life, remind them of the power of their words. They can begin speaking to their situations, these mountains, speaking to their homes and speaking to their situations or businesses situations and Father today we just decide that we're going to magnify you with our words Lord forgive us for any idle words that we have spoken that have negated promises in our life God this morning by the power of your spirit I'm just asking right now some of these words that are popping up in people's minds in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ I command every word curse in this place that's carried right now in men and women's hearts and minds that they be broken in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ I declare freedom in our thinking and in our minds God I thank you that your word can fill our hearts and begin to release life to those around us not death father we call forth words of life that would stir up within our heart God let us have a deep passion for your word Lord and let and you Lord set up a guard and a watch over our mouths oh Lord God we want to direct our lives into lives that are beneficial and a blessing to others so I ask God today Lord any ungodly communication that's proceeded out of any mouth that's here Lord today and on with their permission Lord and on their confession I ask that you cancel the effects of those Lord in relationships in their world in their physical being in their mental being in the name of Jesus Christ and I declare life Lord over your people today I speak life I speak healing I speak hope I speak peace in the mighty name of Jesus and we declare today father that your church has been cleansed and built and wash and we will wash others and we'll bless our city and we'll bless our families in the name of Jesus amen and amen all right yeah <clears throat> thanks for listening be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at myc3church.ca see you next week